this week on the Back Table Podcast. A guy came to me like five years ago and he had a handheld device that he was using to do um, venous work and injecting CO2. And he goes, hey, could you use this for anything? And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's, you know, it's, it's basically the size of, uh, the size of a big phone, you know, but, but a little bit thicker. And then what I, what I did was I just tried to come up with a system to deliver that, you know, you don't get explosive delivery. You don't have contamination. It sets up in 30 seconds. I don't know what system you use, but for many years, well, even with the bag system, you know, I, I'm in the procedure and I can tell you, and you know this as well as anybody else, and interventionalists are not the most patient human beings in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backtable podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome. For all of our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. Backtable is a podcast committed to all things IR and endovascular. I'm Chris Beck and I'll be your host today. I'm a private practice interventional radiologist based out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, we have a great episode lined up. Before we get to our topic, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor, RadPad. RadPad was developed by physicians for physicians. Clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RadPad radiation protection shields for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information. Contact them at info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and no-brainer radiation protection cap. Please let them know you heard it from the Backtable podcast. But thank you to RadPad. I'm happy to introduce our guest today, Dr. Jim Caridi. I've gotten to know Jim through the local New Orleans Angio Club and his daughter uh, was my former attending at Georgetown, so small world. Jim, would you take a moment just to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your practice? Uh, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Aaron, for inviting me to do this. Um, yes, I uh, was at the University of Florida for over 20 years as chief, and then a uh, sequence of events led me to New Orleans, which we've always considered our our city that we uh, lived in and worked in Gainesville, and we're very happy to be here. I spent the first few years doing interventional radiology, and then I was chosen as chairman, so I do a combination of both. I, I do the chairman work, and my what I really like to do is we do, I do some cases and help out in the interventional suite, but it's been great coming to New Orleans and the people that we meet and with the advent of a few new interventionalists in town, we have a lot of interventional power in this little, little city. Yeah. Well, I know that I've been the beneficiary of the Angio club and, and borrowing some of the experience from you and some of the guys over at Tulane. So we appreciate it. So jumping into the topic today, we're going to be talking about CO2 angiography. Jim, can you start us out by just telling us a little bit, like a, a brief overview about CO2 angiography and kind of how you were introduced to it originally? Sure. It's, and I have some slides that I show when I'm giving a lecture. Dr. Hawkins, uh, back in the uh, 70s, we were doing a celiac, well, not me, but he was doing a celiac angiogram and noted that uh, there was no contrast on the, uh, as we pulled out the, you know, the films at the time and put them on the alternator. And uh, when he looked closely, he saw black. And what happened was the text, uh, instead of putting contrast into the injector, uh, forgot and what they did is they loaded it with air and he goes, oh, isn't that interesting? We can see the vessels and the patient did fine. And he had done a lot of cardiology work prior to that 
in, in the cardiology years back in the 60s, they used to use CO2 to evaluate the heart. And they would put the patient left side down, take a cross-table lateral with CO2, and, you could, and they could diagnose uh, pericardial effusion. So he said, well, you know, the, the solubility of, of CO2 is much greater than that of oxygen, so maybe we can use CO2 in the, in the blood vessels. The problem was he was like a decade ahead of his time. So I've seen some of your lectures before and also been with you um, in some angio clubs where you uh, showed some cases with CO2 angiography. And I think that I remember from a lecture that you said CO2 can be used for imaging in any tubular structure. Can you kind of discuss some of the common reasons when you were going to use CO2 in your practice? Sure. The, the, the first thing, what it's, what it's known for is to prevent co uh, contrast-induced nephropathy, obviously. And also, if somebody comes in and they're allergic and you want to continue the procedure. For example, we do a lot of interventional oncology. And when I first got the Tulane, if somebody had a creatinine too, we just, we excluded the patient. But now we can use CO2 to do pretty much all the road mapping and then finish off with the embolization. And, and not only does the patient not go into to, uh, renal failure or acute kidney injury, but we can offer the procedure to patients who were previously excluded. But then we can go on from there. And there are a number of things that um, CO2 can be used for. And I said any tubular structure, I mean, you can, you can probably use air as well, but you can, you, you can use it in a uh, biliary tree. You can use it in frostomies and, you know, for patients who come in and are, are potentially allergic. But it has very unique properties. It's invisible, it's buoyant, and the low viscosity and then it's compressible. And that low viscosity feature is really key because we can use it for things like GI bleeding. If you, if you, if you figure, you know, if you have a pinhole and you try to put molasses through, which is contrast, you know, it doesn't go. But if you put CO2, which is has a viscosity of one four hundred that of um, contrast, the CO2 goes, readily goes through the hole. So we, we found all these other things. We use it in the venous structures. And I actually think that CO2 is a better venous contrast than, than uh, liquid contrast because it doesn't mix with the blood. It displaces the blood. So I can put a 25-gauge needle in the hand vein or maybe a little bit in the wrist vein, inject CO2, and I'll see the central veins because it doesn't dilute. And, and you can see it better than if you use iodinated contrast. Uh, the low viscosity will also, I'm sure, many of you, if you've done any kind of interventional oncology have impaled yourself with a one cc syringe, but the CO2 flows readily through these small syringes and especially good when you're doing uh, CLI and CTO because we can get the, get the small vessels or small catheters and inject plenty of um, CO2 through there. The other thing that CO2 does is because of the low viscosity, when we inject it, it refluxes and you can use that to your advantage we wrote several papers where we would place the catheter in the, say, the mid-renal artery. This was years ago. This is back in the 90s when we were doing a lot more renal stents. And when you, if you inject contrast, the contrast goes forward but would not tell you where the stenosis is. And when you inject CO2, it refluxes back and you always see where the culprit lesion is. And it helps you place your stent or do your angioplast. We use it a lot for uh, portal vein intervention. Uh, if you just if you take it. I've been preaching this for years, not that I came up with it, but Dr. Hawkins came up with it. 
And we just take a 22 gauge needle, place it in the liver, inject 10 to 20 cc's in the portal and lights up. And then what most people would do when they're doing the tips, you know, and, and to, to identify the possession of the portal vein, but you can use it to gain access to the portal vein just by sticking it in the liver and then say, do a portal vein embolization. The thing with the tips that, that most people do, they, they some, in, in fact, a couple of my partners still use a balloon occlusion with, and with CO2, but because of the low viscosity, you can take your tips needle and aim for the portal vein and inject in the hepatic parenchyma. And because of the low viscosity goes into the sinusoids and goes to the uh, portal vein, and you see the portal vein with just injecting into the, into the um, hepatic parenchyma. So there are so many different reasons to use this. I'm going back to the, the venous structures. I do all my inferior vena cablegrams with CO2. It's just simple and fast. It, it can actually sets up quicker than if you do, a, if you do a, an injector with, with contrast. So I use CO2 for that. I mean, there's certain caveats that you have to have, but, but it works well. But also, if you take, when we used to do what I call them vascular paths or aflebics, before you would start sticking it, I say a dialysis patient who has no access, and we would get a CTB or an MRB. Well, nowadays you can't do that with the elevated cranny, but you can take CO2 and inject in each hand, and sometimes only one hand, and because of low viscosity, it goes up to the neck and actually crosses the midline and gives you a roadmap of how of what vessels are open before you start sticking patient and, and potentially causing problems. So we use it for that as well. So, so you actually touched on a lot of things that I, I want to cover, Jim. I want to back up and, and talk about one of the first things that you talked about. And, and kind of my, my line of questioning is like, you know, I think a lot of people think of CO2 as like an alternative to contrast. Like, like you said, whenever contrast is going to be a renal issue. But can you dig in a little bit and talk a little bit more about CO2 and the um, features of CO2, which make it really, really useful for GI bleeds? Like, I think I, I heard you mention low viscosity, but it, it sounds like from talking with you that like using CO2 adds something that contrast doesn't have in the case of a GI bleed. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I just want everybody to know that. There are times when I'm using CO2 and the imaging is absolutely horrible, okay? And so I'm not saying it's the, it's, it's the quintessential contrast agent. It's like everything else, you know? Sometimes it, it, it's remarkable and sometimes it is so bad that you go, what the hell am I doing this for, right? And I never finish a bleeder, whether it be GI bleed or trauma, without using CO2. And I have hundreds, literally hundreds of cases where the bleed was not seen with, with iodinated contrast, which is, is much more viscous, 400 times more viscous than, than, than CO2, right? So there have been at least two or three studies that show that it's two and a half times the sensitivity of contrast. What happens is you have that little pinhole, the CO2 comes out, the CO2 is usually in a little, under a little bit of pressure, at least a little bit of pressure, when it comes out that hole, it spreads out and it, it forms like a cloud. And the other, the other thing about it is if you have contrast, the contrast drips into a pool of blood and gets diluted, you may not see it. But CO2 doesn't mix with the blood and it just sits there and it looks like a cloud. And so it makes it easier. There is no capillary phase with CO2. So we don't, you know, sometimes you'll see 
an enhancement that looks like, oh, is that is that a bleed or is that just capillary enhancement? Well, with CO2, you don't get that. So it's nice. When you see something, it's a bleed. And what I do recommend though, you know, and there's always these little caveats with this. If you do embolize and you find CO2 and you do embolize, the last thing you want to do is do a follow-up exam and blow CO2 through that catheter because you'll blow your plug out. That didn't just work, you know? So you have to be a little bit careful post, post embolization. But I've had liver lacs where, you know, we we're selective. It's not like we've done a non-selective run, a selective run. Don't see any bleeding and do put in CO2 and it just gushes out of there. And I've done a lot. I've done at least probably 10 robotic renal cases where the, there, we could see nothing, not a pseudoanium, nothing, not a bleed. And with contrast, and then with CO2, it was readily apparent. So I, I do know, I never do, a, I never do, a, forget trauma. Trauma it is really, really uh, easy to see with CO2. And I never finish a study without using CO2. I don't start with it. Now, you have to remember, but this, sometimes with the SMA, you know, the SMA is, is a little more non-dependent. And, and you, you put you put CO2 into the SMA and it refluxes back into the aorta. And one of the tricks is inject the aorta so that it not only fills the aorta, but it fills the SMA and the celiac, and then you can find the bleeding that way. So there's a lot of tricks that we can use. So another thing that I wanted to talk about where CO2 adds something that maybe, and, and like you said, it it's not like CO2 is is the know-all, end-all of, of contrast agents, but one of the things that I found it useful for is that if you have like a precarious situation with a wire that you've really worked hard to get into place and you don't want to lose that wire access, but you're very interested in taking a picture for whatever reason, that you can do a setup through a TUI borscht and be able to maintain your wire position, but still get good CO2 opacification of some vessel that you're still interested in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that's perfect. Yeah, that's it, exactly what you said. And we, we leave the wire across, you know, we all know that if, if you've done some kind of intervention, the last thing you want to do is pull the wire back and see how good you did. And if you didn't do so good, you, can't get the, you never get the wire back to where you had it and you jeopardize um, deception or whatever with the patient. So we do this. We do that. We, we put in a TUI and, and inject in the side port of the TUI. And uh, the initial injection is usually pretty tough. You know, it, it's hard to push. I, mean, I don't know if you've had that experience, but once you, once you get after the first injection, the second injection is usually better. And that's, again, because of the low viscosity. I always assume what was happening is I just had to clear the catheter from for blood or contrast or whatever was left in the catheter. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then once that, and then, yeah. and then it flows very smoothly after that. Exactly, exactly. Can you discuss some uh, non-vascular uses of CO2? Like you talked about using a CO2 in the biliary system or renal collecting systems. Like when of when those um, times, like when have you found it helpful to use CO2 as opposed to just regular contrast? If somebody comes in with an allergy, but you yeah. know, I'd have to be honest with you. I, I I go to get the CO2 to do that in those patients, and then my my partners will look at me and they go, "Why don't you just use air?" You know, so I guess <laughs> air works just as well. But but uh, but you can use CO2 for biliary and um, in nephrostomy if somebody comes in with an allergy. Yeah, absolutely. And then we kind of talked about uh, getting back to the tips or any kind of liver work. You're saying that. You can you can use like uh, maybe a, a balloon occlusion uh, device and then inject CO two, but you're also just serve just as well to either wedging the catheter into um, like a yeah. hepatic vein or, or just do a direct stick on the liver. 
No, you don't have to use a catheter. You don't have to use a balloon. All you need is the needle. And okay. if you take a needle and you stick it into the liver parenchyma and you inject 10 to 20 cc's, you can't rupture the capsule, which you can rupture the capsule with the other modes. And you'll see the portal vein. Now, I never, I, I'm not one to believe that something works 100%. But Hawkins looked at that. I forget how many patients he looked at. And he had 100% portal vein visualization doing that, which, by the way, you can use it. And I've used it back. I wrote the first paper back in the, in the 90s. I, I would take a 25-gauge needle. Now I can, and now I use a bigger one because splenic intervention has become, you know, in vogue. But you can take a 25-gauge needle, put it in the spleen, and inject, and you'll see splenic, splenal portal um, circulation. Okay, so you can get a roadmap of how you're going to approach things from the spleen. The, 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 another thing that we have done, we have 15, at least 15 cases, and, we, and unfortunately, our transplant surgeon left. But what would happen is we would get a call that, okay, they got a liver. This patient is sick as stink. We don't know what to do with the patient. We don't know if the portal vein's open. The, the, uh, the 3D study can't, can't tell us for certain. Can you at least do a portal venogram so we know we, that she can accept or he can accept the liver? So the, pa- so the patient comes down. I take a 25-gauge needle. I place the 25-gauge needle into the liver parenchyma. I don't care what the coagulation is. I don't care if there's ascites. And in five minutes, I can tell you if that portal vein is open. I just take a 25-gauge needle place it in the liver, inject 10 to 20 cc's of CO2, and you'll see whether it, whether it's patent or not. And it takes five minutes, and you know if the patient should get that liver or not. It's, there's, no, there's no big procedure to do it. Just bring them down, put them on the table, one, two, three, inject CO2, and you'll know. That's a fantastic tip. Can you talk about some of the things like using CO2 that some lessons that I've learned where either changing in the patient positioning or different vessels either that are that are better to image with CO2 or not as good to image with CO2 or, or putting the patient in a certain position to take advantage of, of the buoyancy sure. of uh, CO2? Sure. Well, so it, CO2 floats, right? So it goes right. to a non-dependent position. So if you look at renal arteries, the left renal artery is usually a little bit more posterior than the right. And sometimes you have to rotate the patient, you know, uh, right side down so that we see, you'll see the, the left renal artery better. And we, now this is where you can get to a little bit of trouble and you have to know what you're doing. If you have somebody with an aneurysm and you don't abide by some of the principles like wait a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes, whatever it is, to have, um, to have it dissolve and you just keep pounding in the CO2, it'll sit in that non-dependent aneurysm and then the blood CO2 interface is not real great. And you can actually get, if you wait over time, you can get the nitrogen and oxygen that replaced the CO2. And now you have an obstructed, an, an obstructed bubble and you can get ischemia. It's very rare. It's something we talk about. There may be one or two cases in the literature, but I have to tell you, I get calls occasionally, you know, several times a week from all over about, hey, I, this, this happened, that happened. What, what would you do here? So I got a call about somebody with abdominal pain having CO2, right? So normally, if we, if we have a patient that has some abdominal pain, what we do is we rotate the patient from side to side. Actually, you know, it sounds going to sound crazy, but I jiggle their belly a little bit just to get the CO2 moving and break it up, okay? Okay. So I talked I talk to this individual. He's going, yeah, he's really in a lot of pain. 
it's really uncomfortable. So I said, I said, excuse me, excuse me, but how much CO2 did you inject? He had injected 600 cc's, 600 cc's over time, over a, a short amount of time. And his answer to me, and when I was done talking to him, because of course I can't say what I want to say, he said, well, I guess I should have read something before I did this. I mean, CO2 is pretty innocuous, but you, you can't be a cowboy, you know? And, and when I look at the literature and I see the complications that people write about, a lot of times it's because you're not abiding by the principles. You know, so, uh, we, I, I talk to a lot of people who go, oh, I just take it from the tank. Oh, I do this. That's fine. And you get away with it, you know, say 80, 90% of the time. But when you don't get away with it, it's because you, you, you didn't do it right, you know? So, so you can use this, that the, the non-dependent to an advantage, like I said, in the renals, sometimes in the pelvis, anyway, in the, in, 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 in the abdomen. Can we talk a little bit about some of the some of the principles of safe CO two angiography? Like, what are, what are some of the things that you abide by in terms of like Are there any vessels or areas that are off limits to CO two angiography, or are there any volumes over a certain period of time that you, that someone it, you know in the in the uninitiated might be able to like use as okay? This is where like a reasonable person would stop, take a beat, and and wait for some CO two to dissolve, or or maybe think about a different modality. Okay, the the first the first thing. First things first, you need to have a decent delivery system, okay? And there's no secret that might help develop a, a delivery system, all right? That it's, it's, it's compact, it's a closed system, you can't put it together wrong, and you basically can't deliver contaminated um, CO2, you can, it can't deliver air. And I, I came up with it because I worked with Hawkins for all those years, and we went through numerous renditions to try to, to try to make it safe. I, I can tell you that I was on the receiving end of uh, not, so, not so good stuff. Like we had one patient where we were doing a tips on, and all tips, it started, he got hypotensive, and I looked down, and, and I see CO2 basically in every, every vessel that you could, every venous vessel you could, this like the pulmonary arteries, everything. and I'm like, what the hell happened, right? Well, we had normally hooked up to a, to a CO2 s- cylinder, and somebody turned the stopcocks the wrong way, you know? So right. we were just flooding this guy with, with, with CO2. So we removed the, the canister from our, our procedure, and we tried to remove as many stopcocks, and we came up with a bag system that was, it was actually the bag system was very good, but it still required humans to put it together, okay? And it's amazing, regardless of how smart somebody is and how many times you've done it, some people put the, the delivery system, they put it together wrong and they injected air, okay? So the system we have now, you can't do that. It, 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 you can't inject too much CO2 and you can't inject air. So it's a safe system. So I would say you start with the delivery system, okay? Then we inject... And you want to inject non-explosively. If you, if you, and that's why you, you shouldn't take it right from the tank because if you take it right from the tank, if you take a 20cc syringe and you hook it up to the tank, you can take a 20cc syringe and with pressure from the tank, you can fill it with 200cc. So instead of injecting 20cc's that you think you are, you're injecting 200cc's and it's explosive. And that explosive delivery can cause pain discomfort, tenismus, and uh, you don't want to do that. And it can also cause reflux into areas you don't want. So let's say we have a 
go delivery system. We want to purge that system of any potential air, you know, when it's fresh. And then we place the catheter and we purge the catheter with a little bit. You just push the plunger down. You'll feel it give. So you have a clear catheter. So when you, when you inject, you inject nice and uniform and uh, sometimes a little bit faster than others, but nice and comfortably, not, not explosive. And then you'll see, you'll, you'll see the vessel. You want to use the end hole catheter. For years, we thought, oh, multiple holes works good. But what it would do is it would produce bubbles. And then we would go work hard to get rid of the bubbles. But an end hole catheter doesn't produce the bubbles and gives you a more compact bolus CO2. And then you want to wait, like, you know, to be safe, we always say one to two minutes, okay? But the truth of the matter is most CO2 will dissolve in 30 seconds. 30 to 40 seconds. If it doesn't dissolve in 30 to 40 seconds, then you have contamination. So you want to wait a little bit in between. You don't want to reflux or inject above the, the diaphragm. And even though some there are some articles out there claiming that getting it into the cer- cerebral circulation or cardiac circulation is not so bad, right now nobody knows for sure. And the best thing to do is to keep it out of the, the carotids and keep it out of the coronary arteries. So you, I always say, well, not me per se, but from Hawkins all the way down um, to his disciples, we always say that you don't want to inject above the diaphragm just to keep it out of the keep it out of the cerebral and cardiac circulation. Now, and that's another reason why you don't want to have explosive delivery because if I put the catheter at the SME level and I blow that CO2 in, it, it'll go right back up to the head and neck, you know. And that, and, that, and that doesn't do you any favors. I mean, I, I have, because of what I do, and because of, I'm known with the CO2, I get, you know, I get legal questions all the time. And it's just amazing what people do with, with the CO2. They, they, you know, they, they, they don't really pay attention. Like I, I like to do a, a talk that says, so you think you know CO2. And I don't mean to be demeaning, but there are certain things that you can do with it, like, like, with the GI bleeding and things like that, but you have to make sure that you do it safely. And and if you want to talk at one point about dialysis access, that's that's where you really have to have a few caveats, but it's great for dialysis. Anyway, so we, we inject, we wait 30 seconds at least, usually a minute, and then we make another injection and make a non-explosive injection. One of the things I wanted to just touch on that that you mentioned, but I just wanted to, to revisit it to make sure the audience picks up on it, is is preloading the catheter with CO2 with just like you would do with contrast. You just deliver a little bit, fill the catheter, you know, just a little test injection, and then subsequently you can you can refill your catheter or your uh, syringe, which you're going to deliver the CO2 with, and then do your full injection. And I think there is a learning curve with delivering CO2, but you don't have to administer it with as near as much force as you would um, with uh, contrast. Right, and you won't get explosive delivery. If you purge the catheter, you won't get explosive delivery. The nice part about CO2, when I tell people, they go, how much should I inject in the SFA? How much should I inject below the knee? How much, you know, oh, the iliacs. I, I said, start with, you know, depending on what area you're in, I said, start with 10 cc's. If it doesn't work, go to 15. If it does work, go down to five. You don't, you lost nothing. You know, it's three cents for 100 cc's and you're not affecting the kidneys, right? So, you just try it, and, you, and, and it's trial and error. If it doesn't work with that amount of CO two, you you know do it again. You know, just uh, just remember the principles of letting 
letting letting it dissolve. One of the things that I, else I, I wanted to talk about, Jim, was you kind of have to have some special software built into your cath lab to to get good CO2 images. Can you talk a little bit about stacking software or, or things that people should know about before they before they just try to do like a, a regular DSA of, of a CO2 angiogram? I think every vendor now has a CO2 program, but I, I have to, I'll, I'll tell you that when I first got to Tulane, they don't, didn't even have the parts for the, the unit that I was using. Okay. And I got fine images. You can do it without any of the fancy software, but if you have the fancy software, it makes it even better. I mean, just in, and stacking is one of them. And that, that's just a superimposition of multiple frames that gives you composite image. When you're using a thin hole catheter, a lot of times you don't need that. But but there but every every vendor I know now has uh, a CO2 package. Yeah, I think that's the case. I haven't been in a cath lab in a long time that hasn't had like some uh, a CO2 package to to load up. So you you mentioned earlier that one of the principles is to stay below the diaphragm. But that's in regards to arterial interventions. But when it comes to venous interventions, it's yeah. it's yes. Yeah, so it's okay. Like like you mentioned, using we use a CO two often for you know upper extremity venograms. You know, a lot of these patients are being worked up for venous mm-hmm. mapping for dialysis access. So in terms of using CO two above the diaphragm, venous system is fair game. Yeah, I and mean, and I get that question a lot. And what I want to say is, um, how do you get from them? from the central veins of the neck into the carotid artery, you know, that it's, you know, it, it, it's great for central venous access, you know, the central veins, like you were talking about, you, you know, when the patient comes in, instead of prepping them up and ultrasound and this, you can just do it through a hand vein, you know, but yeah, you, you can, you can use it centrally or certain with CO2. I, I, I actually prefer it. I don't, I don't use contrast centrally anymore. Our default, our default is also CO2, but that, that's one thing I wanted to, to highlight for the audience is that when we're talking about, you know, above the, yeah, when we're talking about the arterial access, the concern is not just necessarily being above the diaphragm, but it's the reflux of the CO2, the intracranial or the, the carotid system, right? Right. Perfect. Talking about, you said dialysis access was slightly nuanced and I think dialysis you know, particularly for patients who have like a working fistula or a malfunctioning fistula or a graft but who haven't actually gone on to dialysis, I think a lot of people are interested in using CO2, but but in dia- in the dialysis circuit, it's a little bit nuanced. And, and can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, looking at up some of the numbers, if, the way we do it, if somebody comes in and they, and they um, are still producing urine, if you decrease their, their, their GFR by one or two points, they have a 12% increase in mortality. So... A lot of us will go, oh, we can do this. We can use contrast because the patient's going to dialysis. How many times do you think that contrast goes through the kidneys before they get to dialysis? So we're making ourselves feel good, but you can, you can shut somebody's kidneys down even if they're making a small amount of urine. And if you talk to the nephrologist, those patients that are making a small amount of urine do so much better than the patients who make no urine. So we bring them in there, we flood them with contrast, Maybe shut their kidneys down, and now they're now it's a pain to work on. Plus, their mortality goes up. So, you can use CO2, but you have to be careful because even um, even one of my closest friends who's a big he actually I call him part of the CO2 mafia. You know, when we give lectures, he's always on on the docket with me and a few other guys. And he had a case where 
it refluxed and it refluxed up the arm into the um, vertebral circulation. There's a couple of papers that refer to that, you know. So you have to be very careful about explosive delivery when you're evaluating the, 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 the CO2 fistula or in a position graph. So there's different ways of doing it. The way, the way I tend to do it is, you know, I examine with ultrasound and depending on what I see, I take it like a three French, like the micropuncture, the three French portion, of the micropuncture and I stick it in the, I should say, I guess I, I, should, I should say, place it, I place it into the um, radial artery and I inject CO2 very slowly and I watch it forward. Okay. And Dan Simon uses a balloon and he occludes the system and then injects CO2 centrally. So there are different ways of doing it. As long as you're cognizant of the fact that you don't want to get reflux up into the arm. So there are different things you can do. You can put them in Trendelenburg. And, I mean, you honestly watch as you're doing it. The last thing you want to do is blow the CO2 in there because it'll go right to the head. But if you don't do that, you can get pretty good images pre and post, you know, especially if it's a central stenosis. And so, so those are the precautions that I suggest that don't, don't be afraid to do it. Just, just take precautions and you, and um, I've done probably 25, 30, just with CO2 alone and gotten good results. Is, is there still a concern if you're doing, if you're in the venous part of the dialysis circuit that whenever you do an injection that you get reflux all the way from the venous across the anastomosis up the artery and in, in into the vertebral? Is that possible or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very possible. It's, you know, if, if you, if you had thrombus, okay. venous outflow and you, and you inject, it, it essentially, it can go right, it, it can go right. That's why I, that's why I start with the, the, um, the radial artery. I, I mean, I just inject and then I go forward and I see where the problem is. But yeah, if you, if you think that, you know, so what some people do is they compress because they want to see the arterial anastomosis and they inject hard. Well, that'll go right up into the brain. Okay. I, I see. I was kind of thinking of it in terms of, you know, a malfunctioning fixture and not necessarily a clotted one, but yeah, I, I can imagine now that those would be two very different scenarios. Yeah. But if, if you're in, if you're in a, a working fistula that just maybe has like a central stenosis, maybe take some care to inject through the, through the venous. Yes. Okay. Is there, is there other areas of the body that are nuanced, similar to the dialysis circuit where you have to be paying very close attention to, I mean, I think we've talked about a couple areas where you need to be paying attention, but are there anything else like is using CO2 with the lower extremities fair game? So let's talk about that. I think there's been an increased use of CO2 and a lot of it is because of uh, CLI and CTO. You can hear some of the numbers. There's been an increase between 20 and 40% of those procedures. 40% of those patients, 40 to 50% of those patients have uh, renal insufficiency. So, you know, we have, we have a line that we use in two lead because I work um, closely with a few of the cardiologists who, who just bought into the CO2. They love it. And, but we say great if you can make them walk, but then they have to walk to dialysis, you know? So, and some of them go, well, you know, and this is what I've heard across the country, you know, like, well, if, if I, if I start using a lot of contrast, then I'll switch over to CO2. It should be the opposite. CO2 is perfect for the iliacs and the SFA. It's a small tubular structure. If you have a tubular structure of less than 10 millimeters, 10 millimeters or less, we can displace enough blood and there's a one-to-one -one correlation. Now, when you're talking about IVC, uh, IVC and aorta, 
obviously it's a bigger, bigger structure and we can't always displace it, but in the, the peripheral arteries, we can displace all that blood. So start with CO2. You can get beautiful images. And then if you get down to the trifurcation and you say, oh, the CO2 really is not doing, doing favorable here, then use a little dilute contrast. But start with it so that you have the advantage of only using a little bit when you're going peripheral, right? So the other thing that I get from um, the, the people who do that in, with CLI and um, CTO is the patient's foot hurts. CO2 is a vasodilator. So sometimes if you, if you put it in, like I said, semi-explosively or semi-explosively, it can hurt. So you have to be careful. So I, I suggest giving gentle injection. And even with that, when you vasodilate, you know, these vessels have been closed forever. It, it, it is uncomfortable for the patient, you know, sometimes, not all the time. And the other nice thing about using it in the, in the lower extremity and foot is the low viscosity. When you inject this contrast through one, say, a microcatheter, you know how tough it is to do that. You don't have that with CO2. And the CO2 will show you vessels because of the reflux that the contrast won't show you. So we've seen a, a, a drastic increase in use of CO2 in a, a lot by the interventional cardiologists. Yeah, I can also speak personally that in, in doing some, you know, below the knee interventions that being able to maintain your wire placement and, and do a CO2 injection. And, you know, sometimes they're fantastic. Sometimes they're, they're not great, but sometimes it can be a total saver when you get to maintain that wire access and you can do CO2 makes you feel very good about the, the vessel that you're in and, and that you're in true lumen. You know, you know, like I said, you know, sometimes the, the use of CO2, if they move, the images are hideous. So I'm, I'm just, I want to be honest with you. And sometimes when you, when you use CO2, they move and, it, and the images are terrible. But, you know, in most cases, you can get right down to the, to the offending lesions using CO2. And then if you have to use a little contrast, that's fine. Some, and, and then uh, occasionally, like, we'll do a procedure with, you know, mainly CO2 and it looks great. And I use a little con contrast to get like a Rembrandt to say, look at what we did, you know, and because it's because the contrast is prettier, you know. Right, right. And, and just for everybody, are there any situations where a, a patient comes in? It, are there any such things as allergies or absolute contra contraindications to CO2? I, I can think of no absolute contraindication the, other than what we talked about with it coronaries and cerebral, but the, there is, we talk about it, Dr. Cho, who's part of our group, you know, not part, part of our CO2 group. We always talk about when you're doing the venous injections, that if you have uh, pulmonary hypertension, if you have pulmonary hypertension and you have a patent for amenal valley, theoretically you can get a right to left shunt. Nobody's ever, nobody I know, I've never seen a paper on it. I've never seen a complication from it. And it's, it's, I think it's purely theoretical, number one. Number two, I think that when you look at some of the literature going back, you know, like some people believe that the CO2 in the head may cause you to be, you know, a kind of blackout or give you a little seizure or do this or maybe nothing. And there are people who believe that CO2 in the, in the brain is not as bad as we make it out to be. So maybe a little bit squeaks through when you have pulmonary hypertension. I've never seen a, an article or or anybody discussed that, it, oh, this patient had a PFO and, and this is what happened. So, but when you have somebody who has pulmonary hypertension, 
Uh, just be a little careful. The same with, with, with COPD. We always get that question. Can I use it in somebody with COPD? You, you traditionally make 250 cc's of CO2 endogenously per minute. Okay. If you exercise, that goes up five times. We're injecting 20 to 30 cc's. We barely even change the status by using that. So if, as long as the patient's breathing, you can, you can use CO2. <laughs> what we do do, what we do do is we just kind of wait a little bit longer, use less, less CO2 just be, just because, but you can use it in COPD. Gotcha. So going back a little bit to CO2 delivery system, I would actually, if you don't mind talking about it, I would love to hear about how, uh, would you, would you mind talking about the CO, your CO2 delivery system of choice? Yeah. Well, I, and this is how I, you know, I, I make no money from this company. They, a guy came to me like five years ago and he had a handheld device that he was using to do Venus work and inject, and injecting CO2. And he goes, Hey, could you use this for anything? And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's, you know, it's, it's basically the size of, uh, the size of a big phone, you know, but, but a little bit thicker. And then what I, what I did was I just tried to come up with a system to deliver that, you know, you don't get explosive delivery. You don't have contamination. You don't, it sets up in 30 seconds. You, you, I don't know what system you use, but you, for many years, well, even with the bag system, you know, I, I'm in the procedure and I can tell you, you know, this as well as anybody else. And interventionalists are not the most patient human beings in the world. And I, and I want to use CO2, but the last thing I want to do is have these guys start putting it in the bag, flushing the bag, doing this in 10 minutes. And I got to wait 10 minutes, you know, I, I, it would drive me nuts. So now you can put this thing together in 30 seconds and, and, it, and, and it's perfect. So. And, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't tell you it's the safest system on the market right now. There's a, there, you know, I do a meeting in, in um, Bologna every year because the Italians love CO2 and, and I'm kind of like the lead, the lead speaker there. And they have a machine that does it. It's called the Android, but it's 40,000 euro. Cost 40,000 euro to do it. You can do it with your hand, you know, and it's, uh, but, but they too have it where it's non-explosive. And it delivers, you know, uh, delivers the CO two at a at a, a nice easy pace. But but it's uh, I, I just don't get it. You know, it's like, well, are you going to spend forty thousand euro when you can spend ninety bucks and and have a and do it by hand? So so the delivery system is important, and uh, it doesn't. This the one that we have doesn't doesn't deliver explosively, doesn't contaminate. Is we put it right on a on the tray next to us, we, you know, sterilize it, put it right on the tray and it, you don't have to put it together. And it's, um, in 30 seconds, you're ready to go. We use the same delivery system as, as you, and we just put it in a little, uh, sterile bag and then just connect all the, yeah. the tubing through it. Yeah. Right. Or sometimes we'll, uh, we'll hang it on like an IV pole and, and I'll run the, the tubing through it, but I usually just have them, uh, put it in the sterile bag and, and use it. Was it really just situation where someone, someone brought you the idea of, of the commander and I guess I'll, I always imagined that you had been working. I just assumed you had been working with CO2 for a long time. You're like, you know what? There's got to be a better way. I, I just, just assumed that was the case. No, he had the commander. He just didn't know what to do with it. Really? He, um, he used it for, you know, like when they, when they're doing the uh, Venus ablations and stuff, you know, like you're, you're supposed to use CO2, not air, you know? And so he was basically, not was, he is 
of the diatrist, and they were doing a lot of venous ablations using CO2. And so he came to me and says, can't, can't you use this for something else? Because, you know, I guess he hooks up Hawkins' name. And then uh, that's when we, what we developed, we just took it from the commander to the patient. But he is responsible for the, for the commander. He has, I don't know how many patents he has on so many different items, you know, medical and non-medical. He's, he's one of these scientists who, who, who spends most of his day trying to invent something new. But it, it works terrific. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know how you fit, how you feel about it, but to me, it works terrific. Well, I've, I've always I like it a lot. It it basically, like you said, uh, you know, interventional radiologists are not known for their patients, and it just took it. It just removed one barrier to entry that has made CO two so much more accessible for me and the team. And that if I'm thinking about it, I just say let's do it. And I don't, I don't sweat how long it's going to delay the case. And, and that's really what it's done. Right. And you don't get that. And you don't get that look from your technologist when they go, Hey, I'm going to use CO2 in this case, you know, it's right. boom, it's put up. And sometimes I'll, I'll walk in the room and they've already set it up. You know, they're like, we know you want CO2 on this, you know? So it's, and, and I think that, that our numbers have gone crazy over the last couple of years. And I think it's because for two reasons, one. People are not as afraid to use it with this system and it's so easy to use. And two, the amount of cases that are going up because of, you know, people living longer and getting more and more peripheral vascular disease and EVARs. So um, the, the desire for it has gone up. But what I try to do when I, when I, do, when I do talks is to explain or, or show that it's not only for contrast-induced nephropathy, which, by the way, is, is a big deal. You know, if you look at contrast-induced nephropathy, that, that I just read a paper recently where if you, st- if you get that, your mortality goes up, one in four-year mortality goes up, you know, you have to be on dialysis. What a, what a pain, you know what I mean? And you can prevent it from, from, from by just using CO2. And, you know, being quarantined because of my medical condition, I watch a lot of these view many things and a lot of them are cardiology and they're talking about how to reduce contrast-induced nephropathy in there. And, and they have, a, you know, four different reasons, whether it's, you know, hydration or if it's to have the patient come in. Or, they don't even mention CO2. And it's like, and it's like, you guys are missing the boat, you know? So, you know, I, like I said, it's not the best all the time, but it can really get you out of a gym. And that's how I like to use it. You know, like some people say, another tool in the toolbox. That's what it is. It's another tool in the toolbox to be... You can't figure something out. And it's like, I'll give you an example. And a new portable Nembo, you know, I'm, I'm not as adept as my daughter at uh, ultrasound, right? So, I mean, she can pop a portal vein, you know, peripherally with, with ultrasound. I, I put ultrasound on there. I don't know what, I don't know what the hell the portal vein looks like, you know? So, no, I, <laughs> so I, put, I, put the, I put the needle in the, the liver and inject. I see the portal vein. I pick the radical I want. I get in that radical and then I go, right? But sometimes the catheter goes the opposite way. So I, I show this when I when I lecture. The catheter goes up towards the towards the diaphragm, and I want to get a wire down into the you know main portal vein. So if you inject contrast, all you're going to do is you're going to see the peripheral peripheral uh, uh, portal vein, right? So you inject CO2. I see the entire portal venous system, and I know where I have to pull back to, where I'm going to make my turn, and 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 I can use it. That, that's one of the like the nuances. After you use CO two for a while, you go, "Hey, let me try that." And, and I have a slide that says, "You know, CO two is up to your imagination. It really is up to your imagination." 
and you can come up with all scenarios to you, you know? And Jim, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast was to talk about some of the ways to use CO2 that are unrelated to, you know, contrast-induced nephropathy, like the refluxing of the contrast, uh, utilizing the the low viscosity to increase your specificity for GI bleeds, things like this that I think CO2 adds something above and beyond just renal protection from, you know, traditional contrast agents. What, what I would like you to do, if you don't mind, is um, I don't know if you're aware that we have uh, CO2Angio.org, and it's, it's actually, it's not my site, although I'm the only one who puts anything on it. It, it was actually, it's paid for by at CVH, you know, Dr. Walker, and we, ha- and we have video on it for, for different procedures. We have our lectures from that, you know, that CO2 Mopia I told you about. We have that on there, but I personally have uploaded probably close to 325, 350 PDFs, not links because, you know, you go to the link and you gotta, you gotta like do a jig before you can actually get the PDF. But right. you, you could you can go on there and it's categorized like e or how to use it in our uh, CLI, you know how to use it for, C, uh, for, for C, CIA. But go to cu2andrew.org over three hundred papers and you can um, pick out if if you I would like if you would look at IV cablegrams you can just click on IV cablegrams and see the articles under that. So it's a great resource. Yes, for sure. We'll link to that and we'll, we'll put out some show notes for the audience and we'll link to that and, and potentially the other, uh, articles or I know also know there's a video of you, uh, setting up the commander that we'll link to, but yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. And, uh, well, that's old. that's old and uh, this gigantic mustache. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely, we'll put it in there. We'll definitely put it in there, Jim. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate this. This is good. Cause I mean, you're really helping out. So, Jim, I think that about wraps up the topic for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us some of your experience and expertise on this topic. We really appreciate the time. Also, I'd like to say hello to Teresa Creedy, Jim's daughter and former attending of mine at Georgetown. To the audience, thank you guys for listening. We covered an important topic today. If you guys enjoyed the podcast and want to support the show, here are two easy ways. First, take one second and press the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. This helps places like iTunes or Spotify's know that you, our audience, value what we're doing and are interested in getting our latest content as we're producing it. Second, if you're really getting value from these podcasts, please go to iTunes and leave us a short written review. All right, man. Well, I, I appreciate it very much. I hope I, I hope I get to see you soon. Yeah, same here, Jim. All right. Well, stay safe and I appreciate you coming on the show. 